Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. Today is March. 23rd, 2021. My name is Eric Peterson, and I'm joined by Mr. Brad Wood. How you doing, Brad? I'm doing great. I put on my finest vintage Cold Fusion t-shirt, but this desk is so tall, I didn't even <laughs> see it, so <laughs> wasted effort. So what? What? how vintage is this Cold Fusion t-shirt? How old I, think, I think it might actually be from one of the first CF Summits. It's just it's got the angle brackets with a lightning bolt. It's, it's just my guess. Now, CF Summit's not been going on terribly long, right? Like CF eleven era. It, it was it was tongue in cheek when I said vintage. Okay, like, it probably says in the back, but I can't read <laughs> the back of the shirt right now. So, <laughs> do we do we have the monkey cam in the studio that can get that angle? I was gonna say you could just turn around, and then our whole uh, live audience could tell you what's on the back of your shirt <laughs> in the chat. Um, but we'll skip that. So. <laughs> Uh, we want to say thank you to our sponsor, Ordis Solutions, for sponsoring this podcast. There's a few ways that you can support Ordis Solutions. You can like and subscribe these videos here on YouTube. You can sign up for an account on CFCast, which releases new content every week that we highlight here on our podcast as well. You can buy our Ordis's new book, 102 Cold Box Quick Tips and Tricks, which is available right now on Gumroad. And finally, we want to thank those who uh, support us via Patreon. You can find more out at patreon.com slash solutions. We are currently at the 79% funding mark for this podcast. So check that out, those ways to thank our sponsor and thank you, Ordis Solutions. So let's dive into some news. There are some Adobe Cold Fusion updates uh, for a surprising array of engines, we have update <laughs> one for 2021, update 11 for 2018, and even a 2016 update, which is technically out of support, but they still brought some bug fixes. And most importantly, there is a security vulnerability fixed in these updates. Yeah, I wasn't expecting to see any more um, updates for 2016 since it did fall out of support last um, last month, but little uh little gift to the 2016 users i guess um so as mentioned there is a security update the um the twitterverse specifically the uh i don't know it felt like the people who are on linkedin with all the different certifications were all retweeting about the security vulnerability without any comments it was just yeah that always retweeting <laughs> that always well, there's a, a number of things that always greatly annoy me anytime security vulnerabilities come out. The first of which is that I, of course, this one there's very little information about. No one really knows what it is. It just is it's called an input validation, um, you know, failure. It doesn't fail input validation. And it simply says it could allow for arbitrary ex execution of code. But it doesn't say if it's server side or client side. It's like if it's a remote um, an RCE, uh, remote code execution, then that means it's running on a server. It doesn't really say that. 
Um, of course, but, you know, people on Twitter are always sort of like jumping over themselves to break the news. And there's articles all sort of editorializing what they think it may be, or here's some CBEs from three years ago. Maybe it's related to them. Um, I even saw a site, it wasn't Threat Post, it was one of them, that they claimed that it was a remote code execution and would allow you to, you know, run an arbitrary code on the server and take over the server. But those words appeared nowhere in Adobe's actual, like, post. I think they were just copying and pasting just like, boilerplate verbiage for an input validation exploit. Um, so yeah, a lot of people always take it in the worst light. And of course, I also think Adobe's security team has a habit of like over um, rating their security vulnerabilities. They're always like, you know, 10.0 critical. And it's like spelling error fixed or whatever. Um, like all the RMI exploits that came out last year, whatever that was, were all 10.0 critical. And I don't think they follow the CVE rating spec. So you have to take into account things like accessibility, right? If it's behind a port that's blocked by 99% of all firewalls, then that means you'd have to have some sort of internal hack to get to it. And it wouldn't be a 10.0. But anyway, this was like a 9.8 critical. But the only thing um, I saw some of the, so I did see some tweets of people trying to guess what it was. There's one person that found um, in a JavaScript file they had changed from using eval to json.parse. But I looked at that code and there was an RFC compliant regular expression validation happening of the JSON before it was being evaled in the older version. So I was like, uh, unless there was something new that came out that made that exploitable, I don't think that was the crit. I, I hope that wasn't the critical thing they fixed because, geez, all the bad press just for something that probably wasn't even exploitable. But yeah, I don't know. Um, be interesting to see that Adobe did say there's no known exploits happening. So a lot of times, you know, a security researcher, which I, I don't like it when they do this, but they'll write a whole blog post. that's like, this is what the problem was. Hey, hackers, here's how you hack called fusion. I hate it when they do that. So I don't know if that'll happen or if this will just stay um, a mystery. Either way, I mean, the answer is you still upgrade your servers and do it as soon as you can. But I always get a little annoyed watching all the, the Twitter stuff because everybody... Nobody cares about Cold Fusion until a security update comes out. And then it's like mm -hmm. everyone in the universe retweets it. I mean, like the next day you have the second wave of like, Cold Fusion, who uses that crap? So insecure, because look, they had a security update. You're like, yeah, like every other software in the world. But anyway, <laughs> makes me grumpy whenever security updates come out just because I have to watch twitter the internet comes out with them yeah <laughs> well there is but some... there are there are quite a bit of fixes though i mean because like the 2016 patch isn't just the security update i mean it had a whole list of, of bug fixes in it so and, and it did say it would be the last one on the security bulletin it did say this is all you're getting <laughs> so yeah. upgrade yeah please upgrade um, and on that note there is some great news with this for this new update one for 2021 in that it has unbroken cold box on it so you can run cold box on the latest adobe 2021 now yay yes cold box has been broken for like what five months i think ever um, ever since they released 2021 yeah <laughs> cold fusion 2021 so um that's the big thing i don't know if any of the um if any of the uh, performance fixes that Adobe have been working with me on in relation to the tech and power benchmarks made it into these updates, um, I'm afraid they probably didn't, but I, I know they're probably testing them secretly for weeks before they release them. So it would be hard to know because all it says on the update website is bug fixes. We weren't <laughs> even sure if it had our cold box bug fix in there. We had to test that after it came out. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, you can so I, 
Oh, go ahead. Oh no, you may have it on the on the show notes later down. I was just going to say that I know that at least two of the CF engines are updated, but I don't know if um, John. Oh, he does have it. I'm behind on my Slack messages this morning. Yeah, so we do have everything on ForgeBox then. Yes, we, yes, you can spin up all of these uh, updates on ForgeBox 28, 21, 2018, and 2016. It seems like there might be um a possible data source bug in the 2018 that we're looking into at least on update well, 11. you're talking about what the thing i mentioned before that we started the podcast i might i'm not sure <laughs> oh okay well so i did i just got in the office just a few minutes for the podcast so i'm still catching up on stuff i did see some conversations in cfmo slack that looks like cf config may um, have a breaking change it needs to account for in how the config files are written and some of these new updates that affected data sources. Um, but I think it only it only mattered if you were using CF config to write configuration. It needs to, the new updates expected a slightly different configuration file. I'll look right. into that as soon as the podcast is over. Uh, but I don't know if that's the only, okay. the only problem that's been found or not. All right. But all in all, good news. Get your updates in. And if you're on 2016, Now's the best time to jump because Coldbox works on 2021. So a couple other releases this week. We had some uh, fixed releases and minor releases of CV Security, which has a fix for getting the originating user source's IP if it's a list. Uh, say you're using Cloudflare that gives you a lot of different forwarded IPs. And a secure same user method, which lets you pass in a user and it will throw an exception if it's not the logged in user. Um, good for making sure that the owner of some resource is the same one as the logged in user. Mementifier also got a bug fix, which passes mappers and defaults down into nested git memento calls correctly. So you can update those from ForgeBox. Next, let's talk about some of the webinars coming up. It's the last week of the month, which seems to be the week that everybody wants to do webinars. There is one the next three days. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Adobe is kicking off their API creation and management webinar tomorrow, the March 24th. You can learn about building RESTful APIs and using the API manager in a, I believe, seven-part series. Yes, I can count. Starts tomorrow, another one on Thursday, and then continuing in April. We'll put the link in the show notes about information, and there's a registration link on that page. Also on Thursday is a Fusion Reactor webinar, where you can join Mikey from Fusion Reactor about what are the five things you should always check before you release your application. This is Thursday, the 25th at 9.30 Pacific time. And we will throw that link in the show notes as well. Lastly, Ordis has our March webinar this Friday presented by Esme on Vue.js in my Coldbox app. She will walk us through how to integrate Vue.js, some of the fundamentals of Vue.js as well inside a traditional server application. You can sign up on Ordis's site. You can see all our webinars past and upcoming on ordissolutions.com slash events slash 
webinars. Should be pretty good. We do a lot of view stuff at Ortis, so I don't do a lot of view stuff, but the people who do front end stuff do a lot of view stuff at Ortis. So we, we like view. Good. We like view. And lastly, the online CF meetup has an upcoming uh, meetup. You <laughs> uh, <laughs> can't think of the word there. Um, on April 15th, it is with Mr. Luis Mahano mm. talking about CB Futures. This is the, the title. To the future with CB Futures. It needs to be like a Buzz Lightyear kind of thing, I think. That's why I left it for you. I, I couldn't do the, that justice. To the futures and beyond. <laughs> so this is going over the asynchronous and parallel programming constructs that we have built into Coldbox 6. Um, I've used a few of these, and they are quite fun and can greatly speed up your application. Um, the place I've reached for a lot is running multiple um, queries, whether database queries or hitting an API in parallel. Mm -hmm. and getting all the responses back. So instead of having this, you know, waterfall approach where I have six requests that need to go, all of a sudden they all go at once and cut the time way down. So yeah, I think that's one of the most uh, most accessible features of it. Not accessible, one of the most useful things. It obviously, you know, CB Futures has like a billion different, you know, things it does. Um, and some of them you might think like, oh, well, I could do that with CF Thread. Um, but, you know, like what you just said, you have a page and you got to run like six queries and it doesn't matter what order they're run in. Well, heck, run them all at the same time. And the amount of boilerplate code that it takes to do that with CB Futures is actually pretty small. If you have, you know, your code structured nicely and you can just say, here's, you know, five items, run them all at once. Let me know when they're all done. You can do that with CF Thread. Uh, I think it's a lot uglier. CB Futures is really nice. Yes, it is. And you can do a lot more with CB Futures than you can with um threads or run a sync out of the box and so that is going to be a great meetup um i believe all the async stuff also is in wirebox standalone so you don't it even is. have it, to use coldbox to get it it's technically in any of the standalone products because they all share that core folder the system core folder is in coldbox and the next version of command box will have the async manager in it because Ooh. Coldbox uses Wirebox and I've updated to the latest version of Wirebox in the next version of command box. And I'm, I actually already have some integrations in place to start using the async manager. And one of the first places I'm gonna use in command box is places where I need to redraw the screen. Like when you're installing and stuff is kind of scrolling down. Um, instead of redrawing the screen like a billion times a second as stuff was coming in, I'll just start off a little thread that just runs every, you know, 100 milliseconds and just redraws the screen and when I'm going to stop it when I'm done. Um, and so I already have some use cases for ASIC Manager that nice. I get via Wirebox in the command box. I got to imagine um, parallel downloading of packages is on the radar as well. That's definitely something we've talked about. What's tricky about that is that there's the catch 22 where you you can't build out the entire like graph of dependencies that you're going to install without actually like downloading the intermediate ones um if they're on if they're on forgebox we could divine some way where we could just ask forgebox what dependencies does cbrm have without actually downloading cbrm unpacking this box.json and looking at it um but it doesn't always work if you're installing a package from github or things like that so we would have to have like either first pass where we like downloaded everything and then figured out if we had everything and then installed it, which really wouldn't be as cool. Or we would have to say, well, if we at least know we need these six things, let's do them in parallel 
and then recurse down once we get past that. Um, but it is tricky to know what you need to download ahead of time until you've already started download, downloading things. But I definitely would like to parallelize some of the installation stuff, that's for sure. Some exciting stuff coming down the pipeline. And you can learn how to do some of those similar things in your application in that online CF meetup, Thursday, April 15th. Way to circle back. That was good. <laughs> uh, we're going to throw in the link again because this book is amazing. Uh, 102 cold box HMVC quick tips and tricks on Gumroad. Only $29. You can own your own digital copy. You can go to gum.co slash coldbox dash tips. A fun tip. This was originally going to be 100, but you know, Luis, he's a more is more guy. And there's always that and much, much more bullet point at the bottom. So he had to sweeten the deal and make it 102 just because. Yeah. I like how it's not 101. That sounds like the, the, the other number, right? The Dalmatians. Yeah. yeah. One Dalmatians. This is, this is the sequel. Rubella, 102. Rubella. <laughs> it's one better great all right let's go over our cf cast updates this week we are continuing releasing our command box zero to hero workshop this week about creating a package so all the great packages you've been using command box you can learn how to make your own here i love command box packages by the way i was messing around with cf command box migrations the other day and just having one folder of commands is such a nice entry point. So, <laughs> Also, we have uh, some updates to our Spanish content, if that is your language of choice. Two new videos in there. I wish I could tell you what it's about without Google Translate, but I It looks like HTML adequate, but I'm just guessing. Etiquetas HTML. Estructura base de una página HTML. I don't know. I'm just guessing. I don't know what that actually says. Structure of something HTML page is my guess. But if you speak um, Spanish, you too can learn whatever that is. <laughs> and all our wonderful listeners, this is exactly what you came for, to hear Brad <laughs> and Eric trying to figure out Spanish on <clears throat> this podcast. I believe this is called Diseño Web. I don't know what Diseño means, though. Here, here goes Google Translate for Brad. Coming oh, up, also, we still have more Command Box Zero to Hero. And a web design. Yeah, so obvious when you see it. Diseños. It's design-yo. Design-yo. That's what we're doing. All right, sorry. What were you saying? <laughs> no worries. We have more Command Box Zero to Hero coming up, as well as our Up and Running with Quick Workshop is currently being edited. As mentioned, uh, I believe last week, using DocBox is coming to talk about DocBox 2.0. And we have a yet untitled Logbox 101 or Intro to Logbox course coming, which I'm very excited about. I'm doing that one myself. And I'm very excited about it because I can't tell you how many times I will refer to my own videos when this is done because Logbox configuration is one that I just never get right the first time. So I'm excited for a video resource for that. If you have ideas, you can send your suggestions to us at cfcast.com slash support. Okay, on to some conferences. I don't believe we have any new ones, but we'll go over the ones that are coming up here. Uh, April 14th, which is the day before the ColdFusion meetup with CB Futures, is ViewConf. It is a free online conference 
for Vue.js, which we mentioned at Order Solutions, we very much love Vue.js. <laughs> you can find out more information at viewconf.us. So there's a live DJ, but it's a virtual conference. Yeah, that, huh. when they had that in virtual party, I was just kind of, uh, eh. I don't know, that's something I go to a conference in person, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I go to a conference in person to avoid these virtual these parties. Come on. <laughs> I always like the parties because just the one time a day you get to stop and talk to people. And then they're always like, let's have the loudest musicians you've ever heard for two hours. And you're like screaming in the back of the room trying to talk about, you know, cold fusion programming or whatever. And then your voice is hoarse the next day. Every every time at, at Cold Fusion Summit, it happens that way. Or you come to Into the Box, where we have a small section of a mariachi band, and the rest is not uh, loud, crazy music in your ears. <laughs> but, but you do have to listen to Jorge sing during the mariachi band. So. You get to listen oh, you, to him sing. Sorry, yes. It is a privilege. <laughs> that is why you buy your ticket. <laughs> oh, my. All right. What's next? We have uh, Redis <laughs> Conf, April 20th and 21st. Atlassian Teams mm -hmm. 21, if you are using any of those Atlassian products, which is April 28th and 30th. So looks like a lot of April conferences coming up. And and Jira is Atlassian. So if you've put yes. in a ticket to any box thing or any Lucy thing, you've probably used an Atlassian product. And finally, DockerCon coming up in May May 27th. You can pre-register for that one. We will throw all those links into the show notes and into the chat. Finally, there are yeah. some more uh, workshops that Ordis has planned. The dates are coming soon for Commandbox Zero to Hero, Coldbox Zero to Hero, and Coldbox Hero to Superhero. I'm still waiting for Ordis to write the cold box superhero to demigod or whatever the next step is yeah 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 they've kind of set the bar pretty high where is there to go next superhero <laughs> to avenger i don't know you know like yeah we gotta worry about copyright there though probably anyway <laughs> you know look at our conference t-shirts since when have we cared about copyright <laughs> youtube don't strike us okay <laughs> if you are looking for other conferences uh, you can go to comps.tech you can even search by language. CFML is on that list. And you can find any conference to your heart's delight. There are a lot of free online conferences available right now. David Bellinger says superhero to Luis. That's the, the God mode. I mean, there's nowhere you can go past that. Like now you, you can only have two levels. You can become Luis. But there can only be one. So it has to be like a death match or something at the end. Superhero to Luis and then Luis to what? See? It's a um, Super Saiyan Luis. I don't know. <laughs> Super Saiyan. I want to see what the hair looks like. Let me get our Photoshop team on that. Oh, Super goodness. Saiyan Luis. Yes, I want to see that. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's go to our blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. Our first blog post, and uh, we have quite a few. I'll just tell you, we've tried to space them, but Ben Nadal has been busy as is usual, and we love it. Don't get us wrong. He, the first one is talking about Docker for Mac file IO. So this is in relation to Ben's project, creating a 
custom tag language for HTML emails. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, he ran into the snag where it was dirt slow with the CF import tag. And he wasn't quite sure how to get around that. Well, turns out he probably doesn't need to get around it because his Docker for Mac file IO is 68 times slower than running this on their Kubernetes pod. So, so <laughs> I saw this post and I hadn't read it. What I was unclear on is if the file access that was 68 times slower was local to the container or if it was part of a mount that was actually going through some translation layer to his underlying Mac file system. My guess is there's some mounting things there. I know that Docker in general and Docker for Mac specifically, you can do a lot of different things with your volume mounts to make that fast. But we're talking on, you know, an average of 12 seconds down to an average of 175 milliseconds on some of these calls. So. Yeah, I would almost bet that, the, that he has his source code, which is what he's obviously testing, mapped through to a local you know, folder and it's going through some translation layer. I know on Windows, I've seen some pretty terrible um, times as well, U using either Vagrant, anything through, you know, VirtualBox, basically, that's like a map drive, whether it's Vagrant or Docker, I've seen some pretty terrible times when you're mapping stuff through. And it's the kind of thing where just hitting the file once, it's the difference between, you know, nanoseconds and a few milliseconds, but all of a sudden you do something that hits a thousand files a thousand times, and, you know, 68 times slower. <laughs> yeah. I'm not exactly sure what CF import does under the hood, but I know I ran into performance issues whenever I wrote a lot of files out. Um, if I recall... That syncing that was taking forever. If I recall, he had a blog post on what it was um, a few weeks ago because Zach had helped with them. And I think there was like a file exist check that happens every time you import the file. So even with Trusted Cache on, because I had commented on that post, even with trusted cache on, even if the the CFM file itself is compiled as a class file before it even gets to that point, there was still a does the CFM even exist? That happened every time you did an import, which if you did it a couple of times in a page, who cares? But he was doing it like inside of you know tight loops and thousands of times, and then that that file system overhead really added up. Right. So that is good news, and that's also something to remember using Docker is if you are doing some performance profiling, do it on the system that you're going to be running it on um, just to make sure. So, yep. okay, next one, we have a video up. We've probably talked about this one as it was part of the Mid-Michigan Cold Fusion Users Group, but it is a video on building a Microsoft Teams app with CFML. Uh, so for those of you who haven't used it, Microsoft Teams is their version of Slack. Um, plus other stuff. So this is building a, a, like a bot that can interact with things and some really neat examples in there. Um, one about sending a, a monthly reminder or a bi-monthly reminder. And the second one I thought was really neat was um, showing a caller ID when the phone call comes in to their system, which it was just a fun little idea that it would pop up in your, in your Teams application too. So you can watch him implement those on the video and we'll throw that link into the chat in the show notes. That was from uh, Randy Brown at the Mid-Michigan Cold Fusion Users Group. Cool. Okay, this next one from Ben is bound to cause some discussion. And uh, I mean, it says it in the title, it says an opinionated guide. So there's the discussion already. 
to handling pull requests on my team. And there was an image he had associated with this that I think I first saw on Twitter about how, let's see, let me share my screen. Yes. If your pull request sits open for more than an hour, your team has failed you. <laughs> Woo! Disgust. An hour. Right? Dang. <laughs> <laughs> Disgust. So he, he obviously goes through why that's true for his team, and it's opinionated. Um, but I like a lot of the stuff he says. I know we at Ordis definitely have pull requests open for more than an hour. So um, I'm not sure whether that is something we need to work on or we've decided to have other trade-offs. Um, but some of the things in this article that I love, keep PRs small, what's in the master or main branch should match what's in production, review your own PR before submitting it, let people know when the PR has been reviewed, add pictures or videos. Um, so all some great ideas. Pictures so, or videos of the changes. So, like, if you're working on something that has a UI change, show a picture of the new UI. All right, fair um, enough. Which I I ask for all the time on our UI projects, like CFCasts. Yes, I can download it. I can run it locally and then go see what it is. <laughs> but like, you yeah. have it up there. You're working on it. Just show me what it looks like. <laughs> so, so there's some there's some good things in there. Even if you read the part that says it shouldn't be open for more than an hour and you're like yeah right it's okay you can read the other points and take what you want from it so i do understand <laughs> the mindset though of getting prs closed quickly because the longer they're open the more stale they become um often it's hard to move on to another task and then have to come back to that pr multiple times uh it's nicer if there's a quicker feedback cycle but you know i mean of our i love a quicker feedback cycle but i kind of feel like that's something i've just had to live without you know i mean especially like an artist we live all you know remote distributed around the world different time zones we know a lot of us are on completely different projects if i have a question for luis i mean he may be in a call for the next two hours i mean i'm not necessarily going to get a review on the pull request um yeah i think so one thing i know it's that helps that guide is he mentions that every team member can review anybody else's PR. Um, that probably doesn't, well, I know it doesn't match much of um, the client work we work on where there are specific people who want to review them. Um, it also doesn't yeah. work if you need somebody specific because of their domain knowledge. Um, so again, if everybody mm -hmm. can review the PR, it makes sense that you should be able to get somebody quicker, but your mileage yeah, may vary. I, I like Ben's little section in here. Your commit history should mirror the evolution of your application, uh, not the journey of the engineer. And he has this example <laughs> of commits. It's like, you know, WIP, work in progress. Another commit. Not sure why this is breaking. Another commit. WTF is going on. Another commit. More changes. Another commit. Trying something different. Another commit. F you code. <laughs> like, uh, I've probably written a few messages that looked a bit more like that while I was trying to get something. I mean, the worst thing is when you're debugging a build that's only fails on GitLab and you're like debugging <laughs> remotely in your GitLab build with like commit after commit. And you're like, I don't even know what to name these commit messages anymore. I, yeah, I hate I, doing that because yeah, the commit log is just trash. I, I'll have <laughs> to find it somewhere. Um, 
this developer I followed that his his guide was every commit is WIP is WIP work in progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Until you merge it into the main branch, and then you squash it, you give it a real name. But he doesn't spend yeah. any time saying what he's doing until it's it's merged in, which is probably you know find the ground for you. But I definitely agree that. I don't want my main commit history having all of yours. Is this working? Is this working now? You, <laughs> I know. Right, though. Yeah, and, sure. and the Just squash functionality squash. Is, is nice. Yeah. <laughs> Great. All righty. Next one, we have a blog post by Mr. Matthew Clemente. And it is a blog post, not a video. I'm used to saying videos from, from Matt. Hmm. This one is on... Uh, a SQL function, specifically here in Postgres, but it is available in many other SQL uh, database engines with the great greatest and least functions. Um, you can think of these kind of like min and max where you can use an update clause and in greatest pass in two different values and it will take the bigger of them or least it'll take the smaller. So this was useful for him. He was parsing some logs, which could come in any order from different uh, different sources. And he wanted to increment the count for each log and set the last CNAT only to the greatest value. And so he could take in all the new values and it would keep the last CNAT or it would keep the new value if it was greater. So I do believe this is on pretty much every database grammar. SQL Server was the only one he doesn't have linked here. But I'm yeah, sure they have one as well. That's what I was trying to figure out if they had that. So nice little SQL tip there from Matt. Thank you. Okay. Another uh, Ben Nadal post, more discussion. Uh, he talks about how they have a Cold Fusion monolith there at Envision that his team is working on. And he talks about how it helps them deploy very quickly. And he has a fun little graph here about the different deploys services. And his top one is CF projects. You see it's deployed way more often than the rest, which to be fair, the rest are microservices. So the idea is you don't have to deploy the same thing as often. Um, but he talks about, he's talked about this before that the monolith for their team in this instance helps them deploy fast, move fast, and um, they're even bringing things back into it all the time. And deploy hella often. Yes, that says. was that is the <laughs> official tagline. So nice. Um, I know I so, love monolith applications. I get microservices and why they are useful in some cases. I think we have, um, as an industry, over microservice things that don't need to be there yet. You know, yeah, and I really liked Microsoft. Ben's. Yeah, I liked Ben's blog that he had a few months ago, kind of talking about like where where's the breaking point. You know, does it really make sense to have a thousand microservices, or does it really make sense to have stuff? And, and I had talked about that's why I, I like what Coldbox modules give you because you can get a <laughs> lot of the the benefits of having stuff modular and self contained and you know able to be ported around, but still inside of one build, one repo. Um, anyway. Yeah, I think it comes down again to a lot of premature optimization, thinking like, oh, this is probably slow. Or if we had 
you know, a hundred times the traffic, this could hurt us. And it's like, sure. And when you have a hundred <laughs> times the traffic, like put the work in. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Because what I've seen a few times is you have a lot of microservices that you start building and then your overall page time sometimes can actually suffer because you have like 10, 15 HTTP calls that, you know, end up getting made out of the covers to hit all these different microservices to get all the data. Whereas it used to be, you just had embedded CF queries or embedded, you know, functionality. And it, it actually, you add some overhead, the more you decouple and distribute your system, you add flexibility, you add scalability, you add, you know, all these different aspects, but you also add a bit of, you know, latency whenever you do that, which in addition to the build overhead and just the management overhead of all your repos. So these are very good conversations. I think Ben's having about what, what makes sense, you know, as he says here, the point is it's all subjective and terribly contextual <laughs> period. <laughs> I, th I think the only thing that scared me in his whole thing is he mentioned that when they bring things back into the monolith, they, they drop the tests. It says they have tests what? and they don't pour them back. I mean, uh, I can see, I don't know. I've done things where we've gone forward without tests because we want to get it out. And then we we go back and put tests in. But I don't know if I've ever thrown away tests that were already there. Yeah, but, I mean, unless the code is reorganized in a way with the, the, the test is were, or were useless. a different language, maybe. Maybe they're pulling in something written yeah. in a different language. Anyways, it works for them. That just was one of those like, oh. Okay, I like tests. They make me feel safe. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as he said that, Eric was like, oh, I felt a disturbance in the testing universe. <laughs> Somewhere a test was just thrown uh, away. I just am afraid to change anything without a test because then I have to do all the testing myself and I'm not the most thorough on that. So Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I've been my share of lazy, but there was something for one of our clients just the other day that has started out as this simple little thing and had grown. And the cyclomatic complexity of it was just starting to get you know crazy with all these different if statements and business cases. And they had been manually testing it. And then you know the client was like, we want to add a whole nother layer of you know conditional checks for these other things that, that I was going to need to do some refactoring on to make possible. And I was like, all right, stop, hammer time. I'm writing tests for everything I have <laughs> right now. Like I'm going to hit all of these scenarios and I used code coverage and test box to make sure I had all the if statements in there. And then once I had the test passing, then I did my refactoring that I needed to do, which of course, as soon as I broke tests, I was like, Oh, that's right. You know, and then I added the new functionality with tests driven at that point in time. And it was kind of like, man, I really should have had tests to begin with, you know, in this and I didn't, but it's, when you have it, it's, it's such a nice feeling. Is if they ask me to go make another change to this, it was starting to be like this cringy, what am I going to break this time? But now I'd be like, yeah, I can add another feature to that. Like I have full test coverage. I feel really comfortable now going in and, you know, screwing around with it. I hear you though on the, I wouldn't even call it lazy, but like in the initial <laughs> uh, playing around with the feature when you're like, I don't know what I want this to be. Like yeah. tests can really slow you down there because... <laughs> You don't know what it's going to look like. You don't know what the functions are going to be called. You're just playing around. But there does come a point where you've decided, yes, this is good. Now let's make sure we have something that backs up that it works. So in yeah. our uh, quick workshop, so you'll see this if you're a CFCast subscriber coming out. When we start talking about testing and we want to add a new feature, the first thing that we do is go back and add tests around the existing, um, like listing out of all of our posts in our blog. And then we do the feature that shows only published posts.
right? We make sure that it works before we start adding new things. So I think that's a perfectly fine way to go about it. And also if you're in Ben's situation and you don't want the test, you're trying to move fast and that works for your team. Cool. No one's going to arrest you. There's no testing police. We may cancel you on Twitter, but we won't arrest you. Okay, so uh, there is a blog post from Adobe about those uh, March 2021 updates. You can see, um, <laughs> you can see all of the bug fixes listed out, which is bug fixes. Um, but you can see that there. <laughs> Sorry, I just want more detail. <laughs> Yeah, I, I hadn't actually seen this post, but <clears throat> reading through it, I see it's nothing more than a few excerpts from the existing security bulletins. I, I did notice that 2021 mentioned some activation and deactivation of virtual core licenses. And that was a feature I don't think I had seen. I'm sure it had probably been mentioned in the, in the pre-release. I'm really curious how that works. And if that's part of their cloud offerings, because it appears to be something that actually does like, a, like an online, you have to be connected to the internet you know, hits an activation server kind of thing. And you have to, you know, deactivate a server when you stop using it to move the licenses. I'm really kind of curious about that. Hmm. Anyway, seeing, okay. it, seeing it in that post reminded me about that. All right. After that, uh, we have a fun code kata from Ben Nadal about porting Lucy's <laughs> system output function over to Adobe. You know, we've done that before. When Luis was testing his CB stream stuff, he had like a basic equivalent of that because he needed to test it on Adobe and he couldn't just use system output on Lucy. So for those of you who haven't used Lucy, system output sends um, the text that you give it to Java's out stream, system out. Mm -hmm. um, it can take a new line argument and the third argument is whether you want it to go to the error stream or not. So here you can see um, all these values going through it will serialize complex values to mm -hmm. JSON automatically. And it's not necessarily JSON. It uses Lucy's internal serialized function, Ooh. which is JSON-ish, but it's not necessarily actual. It's not the same as serialized JSON, just for what it's worth. So if I pull up the, uh, <laughs> the Lucy source code, will the object that comes out of there be called JSON-ish? Because that would be amazing. So. <laughs> It'd be the Swiss German equivalent of that. <laughs> so here's his function. It's pretty um, pretty simple. As he says, this is pretty awesome that you can use CFML's invoke to invoke dynamic methods on Java classes. So some fun stuff there. Um, yeah, it was fun seeing that. Um, it, it, this is one of the many things that's just really useful in Lucy, and I wish Adobe would add, but of course, I, I doubt I've gone and put in a ticket for them to add it. There's a hundred things I wish Adobe would add this in Lucy. I, I never used to put any, write anything to the console out when I, as a ColdFusion developer in the past because the console logs went into some arcane text file on the server that how would I even get to it? But with command box development, you, know, you spin up a server and you type server log dash dash follow and you're just tailing the console output of the server. It's actually really handy. Um, because our cold box application templates all have a console appender baked in just out of the box. So your logging just goes out to the console. And if you want to just do some ad hoc one-off logging, you toss in the system output command and it just shows up in your server log. So I actually use that like all the time. Yeah. Agreed. Okay. Uh, we have on the cold fusion forum, a blog post about the MySQL connector J. So I believe this is a, 
community MySQL connector, uh, not the one built in if I'm reading this right, but the latest update changed some ways that it approaches time zones, which returns a local date time Java object, which breaks all of ColdFusion's date time functions. So <laughs> if you do use connector J, for now stick on 8.0.22, do not upgrade to .23. Um, this is what this is on the Confusion blog. Yeah, yeah, the Confusion portal. Yep. I'm curious. My first thought is, does this affect Lucy? And my second thought is, is there a ticket in for this already? Yeah, I wasn't sure the relationship between this connector J and what is shipped in the JDBC drivers in Lucy and Adobe, but it's it sounded like in the blog post that this was a community version. Um, so. Interesting, but it still sounds like a fix that's necessary in ColdFusion, most likely for its uh, for its state functions to be able to work with whatever this Java object is, which I suppose in a vacuum really would have nothing to do with the JDBC connector itself. It would just be, in general, allow ColdFusion state you know related functions to work with this Java class. Is what I think I'm reading. Right. Um, exactly. Or parsing the local date time Java class into the <clears throat> Confusion equivalent, so. Yeah. Okay. Uh, last blog post, and we have a couple tweets to round it out, is uh, from Ben Nadal about casting dates between a date and a number. So in Confusion, you can represent Zent dates as numbers, but not, <laughs> not the traditional like milliseconds from the uh, Unix epoch, right? The what is it? January something, nineteen seventy. January first, I think. Um, there's a different one for the ColdFusion um, epoch, and it's represented as a a double number of days, and after the the decimal is the fractional time of the day. Um, this is all interesting, I guess, but. Well, that's not a date, though. That's just a time span representation, right? Right. So you can, you and can use that double and that's number. Typical, and... Yeah, that's typical on cold fusion. Like the, the, the create time span function just returns an integer. I mean, it's all it is. And there's a lot of functionality. Like even in Lucy, you can do a CF loop to from and you can count up. And I think it uses an integer one to mean one day and decimals to be a fraction thereof. Yeah, I guess but, but the it's... thing I found interesting was, I guess the Cold Fusion Epoch is uh, December 30th, 1899. Like, it's it's just a different day. And if you do a, like a, Ben has in here, a, if you add zero to that decimal value, it will convert it based on that day. Like, it, there's just some weird things. <laughs> so here's here's my screen. Basically, this value right here is the numeric representation of... March 20th, 2021. And I can see this biting me in the butt for sure. <laughs> Some code that says, hey, look, that looks like a, a date. And you're like, no, it's it's just a decimal number. And so, you know, we've talked about it before, how it's one of the things with our dynamic programming language that can be difficult is dates represented as numbers and which one did you want? So I don't know. That's just something to, to be aware of. And I guess it's interesting if you want to go through and see how those get converted back and forth. You know, it's funny. There was someone on CFML Slack the other day who was dealing with some like phone switching uh, system. 
and it was it was sending him back dates as some giant you know integer number but it wasn't like a, a typical epoch but it appeared to have some sort of like starting point that appeared to be random and he's trying to like reverse engineer like how to convert it to a date this made me think of that mm -hmm. that, that that system must have used some other random date for their epoch <laughs> right uh it did make me sad that there doesn't seem to be any built-in function on ColdFusion or lucy for um seconds since 1970 right um i know a few apis return timestamps in that format and converting them back into dates is just a little more of a hassle than i wish it was so there you go i, I should probably go enter a ticket it's not hard it's just you know, I've said before, play. what if the world got rid of time zones and it was like five o'clock p.m. everywhere in the world at the same time, and then you would just, you know, adjust based on where you lived as to what time you went to work. Would that be any easier? You wouldn't have to ever convert anything. Scheduling meetings would be just super simple. I, I mean, know. I just, just going to throw that out there for the powers of be that listen to our <laughs> podcast to consider when uh... the new world order hits, get rid of the time zones. Or at least daylight savings time. I mean, a step. <laughs> I did read. This is totally not what our, what is our uh, strong suit talking about? But going to talk about it anyways. Did find out that the Secretary of Transportation in the United States has control over time zones for the U.S. So technically, he could move like Maine into the Hawaii time zone without having any like laws passed. He could just do that. And I thought, huh. That's interesting. <laughs> wow. Just unilateral yeah, control over just, that. Doesn't well, need the legislature. Nope. So that's kind of crazy. That's um, hilarious, actually. So anyways, <laughs> let's uh, go finish off with a couple tweets that we have. Share my screen here again. Uh, we got some love from Gary Knight on Twitter, specifically for Command Box. Brad, you have done a great job with Command Box, and we're not the only ones who think so. Gary thinks so as well. You you don't know how much I had to pay him to make that tweet. <laughs> we won't go into that. And then I love your little <laughs> teaser here of uh, an upcoming Com Command Box UI improvement with tables. Yeah, which you contributed. That's true. That's why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> So some great things coming up in the next version of Command Box. What is that version going to be, by the way? Uh, it'll probably be 5.3.0. I'm actually considering cutting it soon. I just want to finish putting in some of those async manager changes that I talked about, which requires me to actually have time to do that. <laughs> oh, time. If we if we were all in the, t in the same time zone, would that give you more time? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty certain. I don't know how, but we'll say yes. <laughs> Awesome. And the last one is something I saw on Twitter that I thought was pretty awesome. It's this um, application called Grex, and it's like reverse regex. So you give it a string, and it gives you a regex that matches that string. Um, so here Wait, shared what? on my screen. Yes, right? <laughs> here shared on my screen is a video of that going. Let's see how big I can make it. So he gave four patterns here, and it gives them a regex that matches all four patterns, um, which is really nice because you could give it like three different URL patterns that you want to match, and it will give you a regex out like that. And even if it's not perfect, it probably is closer and easier to adjust than creating it from scratch. So 
As a person who wow. has a very interest, like hate love relationship with regex, I thought this was pretty awesome. I wonder how it works. So it like it like it works in opposite. You give it the things. It's almost like you know, like machine learning. You you give it a series of strings that match the thing you're looking for, and then it tries to guess what your regular expression would actually be for what it is you're looking for. That's super interesting. Right. I love that mm. you can give it multiple patterns, and it will find the commonalities so yeah so yeah pretty awesome that, that seems like it would seem easy but would possibly be very hard yeah i would never want to <laughs> write know? this so whoever said, i'm like this. oh i'm like okay you know you use a string diffing you know functionality you find the similar characters in the string but then you're like but that would get really complicated <laughs> right i i'm whoever wrote this is is smart and I don't know. What language is this in? I'm pulling it up on GitHub now. Grex we, we is need written in something. Rust. <clears throat> of course it's written in Rust. Everything command line is written in Rust nowadays. All right. You've heard it. Scott, Ste <laughs> Scott Steinbeck, as soon as you're done with that JMES implementation, we need a Grex command and command box. Go. <laughs> All righty. So I think that takes us through the news of the week and we are on to find a job there is one new job this week listed on get cmfl cfmljobs.com it is a full-time senior software developer and i love this it says at anywhere united states and when i read that i couldn't help but wonder if there was a town called anywhere somewhere in the yeah, united i wouldn't be states. surprised so i believe <laughs> it's town, remote USA. and you can be anywhere in the u.s but um, it's like yeah. the press and a key, yeah. you know, cartoon. <laughs> Where's the any key? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, some other jobs from the web. Uh, we have a job listed at cfwebtools.com. They're looking to hire a full-time experienced systems administrator. They, you can work remotely. Their office is located in Omaha, Nebraska. We will add that to the show notes and here in the chat as well. Their office is located in flyover country. Actually, not too far from me. <laughs> I'm not sure. How, did you just like give yourself a cell phone there? Meaning all all of us in this part of the country know we're in flyover country. It's, <laughs> I've flown into it. Kansas City. It's, it's a nice place. Okay. And um, as, a, as a special tease here, we do have a special job posting coming up soon. Um, that will be posted in the next week or so. Uh, pay attention to our podcast next week. Great company benefits, modern thinking CF developer, fully remote. There's your tease for next week's jobs. <laughs> okay. Forgebox module of the week. We have a repeat, um, I was going to say repeat offender, um, a repeat, <laughs> a repeat module, and that is the <clears throat> CF format module mm -hmm. command box cf format and we've gone through this before cf format is created by um, john berquist and it's a way to apply formatting rules and automatically format your code i love this because then i can have my rules in my repo and you can write your code however you want and then i format it how i wanted it and none of us <laughs> have to agree on it because i make it happen automatically um in fact I have a GitHub action. I'll have to find it um, as we've been switching our repos 
build processes from Travis to GitHub, there is a action that formats it and then commits the changes straight to that uh, branch that you're on. So you push up your code. If it didn't match my formatting, I don't care. I'm pushing up another commit that makes it match. So you don't even have to do anything on your side. I love it. Um, some things I wanted to show before, and I think it's right down here. There is a settings wizard that you can run. So if you haven't used CF format, you don't have a formatting uh, settings file that you want, you can run the wizard and it will show you examples of each and every rule, what it looks like, and then you can choose one and it will generate it for you. So that's a great way to get started, especially with um, a lot of settings in CF format, right? And you can get it exactly how you'd like it to look. So this is a great uh, project. I try to put CF format on all the things I touch. I will say if you do integrate it in your project, make a dedicated pull request to do it all at once um, <laughs> because it does mess up, not mess up, but it's kind of hard if you get a pull request to review and they're like, I changed this one thing. Also, I formatted the file and it says I changed like 80 yeah. lines. So a thousand lines. <laughs> so do it in yeah, it, in the PR that you're not changing anything else. <laughs> yeah, and since it's likely going to touch everything, if it's your first format, you if you have several of the team members, we're like, all right, everybody, like, don't don't do any local work you haven't committed. Let's format the code. You know, get it merged in. Everybody pulls. You know, otherwise you'll get a bunch of conflicts if uh if there's other development. But yeah, CF format has like a zillion options. And there's some commands built in that will list out all of the options and show you examples of what it looks like and what it means. Um, and you, there's even a little wizard you can do that'll build a CF format JSON file based on your likings. So you can kind of go through and say, oh yeah, I like my curlies to be there. Oh yeah, I like colons instead of equals, blah, blah, blah. When you're done, it's like, okay, here's your magic JSON file. You know, put it in the web root and now you can format all your code. So. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, the, the settings approach is kind of the opposite of uh, Prettier for JavaScript, where Prettier was sent out there as like, hey, we only have like five settings. And CF format <laughs> is out there saying, hey, you can make it look exactly how you want. So I, I ironically, part of that is, in my opinion, from the fact that nobody ever wants to be opinionated in the cold fusion world. It's always, you know, everybody wants to be their own little unique butterfly and do their own random <laughs> deploys and their own random frameworks and their own random formatting. If this were like the Ruby world, we'll be like, no, you will format your code and you will like it like this. Thank you. I'm sorry. Or, uh, you know, but go, go, I think has a formatter built into like when you download oh, really? the development toolkit. Yeah. So Just like right across the board. Yeah. So there's a few like that. Um, on the the Git history uh, part, <laughs> I did see a, a joke on Twitter. Somebody with prettier, um, but the same thing applies. They said they have somebody who ran, you know, prettier on their repo, a coworker, and ever since, you know, whenever they're going to go see what who changed this line last, you know, the Git blame. Most of the lines of this coworker. <laughs> It's just that funny, um, a funny artifact of using formatting the first time is whoever does it is all of a sudden going to own every line of code in your repo. <laughs> so the git blame will always blame them. Okay. Our VS Code hint tips and tricks of the week. This week we chose the GitLab workflow extension. This is an official extension from GitLab. 
Um, you can connect it to either the hosted or an on-premise edition, and you can do it based on each workspace, right? So um, if you work for multiple clients, have multiple GitLab instances, you can configure uh, this extension to look at the right one, depending on which workspace you have. I originally looked at this one because of GitLab CI. I wanted something that could um, autocomplete for me in GitLab CI and could validate it. They have their little lint tool and, um, <coughs> excuse me. Um, it's always <laughs> frustrating to have to wait till I push it up to be told, Hey, you messed up. And even then it doesn't tell me what I mess up. I have to like click into their UI and copy and paste it. So this gets rid of all that and just tells me right here in, in VS code. Um, it can do a lot more with listing pull requests. Uh, issues, showing you the value of the last pipeline run, creating a retry in pipelines. Here's an example of their issue tracking where you can actually write a comment. So there is a ton of things you can do all from VS Code without having to pull up the GitLab interface itself. You can create uh, different queries to show you issues that you would like to have in the sidebar. And I want to pull open, here's the validating the GitLab CI configuration. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, variable auto completion. So it even gives you all of the uh, environment variables provided to you, which so nice. I mean, I have that page bookmarked, but I love having it in my editor even more. So um, it's a great extension. Again, if you're using GitLab like we are, you can download this and hook it up to yours today. All righty. That brings us here to the end of our podcast and our chance to thank all of our Patreon supporters. Thank you for supporting this podcast, all of our open source tools like Command Box, Forge Box, Cold Box, Content Box, Test Box, all the other boxes. You can sign up and learn more at patreon.com slash order solutions. Anybody who signs up. We've also reorganized those, right? Yes. Anybody who signs up for a bronze package and up, you will get a Forgebox Pro and a CFCast subscription as a perk. You have access to a special room on our orders community website and get a little badge as well. Mm -hmm. And there are other perks on higher packages as well. So we want to thank everybody who is supporting us there. And uh, Brad, how about you take us through that list? Sure. Thank you to our Patreon supporters, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, David Bellinger, Gary Knight, Giancarlo Gomez, Jonathan Parrott, Mario Rodriguez, Jeffrey McGee from Sunstar Media, John Wilson from Synaptrix, Yogesh Mathur, Joseph Lamery, Ben Liddell, Brett DeLine, Carl Von Stetten, Charlie Earhart, Dan Carr, Daniel Garcia, Didier Lesnicki, Edgardo Cabezas, Jan Yannick, Jason Diger, <clears throat> Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Kai Koenig, Laxma Tirhordati, Gavin always says that one better than me, Leon Ceramelis, I think, Matthew Darby, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Patrick Flynn, Ross Phillips, Scott Steinbeck, Stephanie Monge, and Stephen Klotz. I used to be able to do that in one breath. That, that list has gotten pretty big. I don't think I could do that anymore. And that's how we like it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Awesome. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thanks for joining us for the news this week. And have a great one. And we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.